Chapter 14 of He Fell in Love with His Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. He Fell in Love with His Wife by Edward P. Rowe. Chapter 14 A Pitched Battle. It was an odd household under Holcroft's roof on the evening of the Sunday we have described. The farmer, in a sense, had taken sanctuary in his own room, that he might escape the manoeuvring wiles of his tormenting housekeeper. If she would content herself with general topics, he would try to endure her foolish high-flown talk until the three months expired. But that she should speedily and openly take the initiative in matrimonial designs was proof of such an unbalanced mind that he was filled with nervous dread. Hanged if one can tell what such a silly, hair-brained woman will do next, he thought, as he brooded by the fire. Sunday or no Sunday, I feel as if I'd like to take my horsewhip and give Lemuel Weeks a piece of my mind. Such musings did not promise well for Mrs. Mumpson, scheming in the parlour below, but as we have seen, she had the faculty of arranging all future events to her mind. That matters had not turned out in the past as she had expected counted for nothing. She was one who could not be taught even by experience. The most insignificant thing in Holcroft's dwelling had not escaped her scrutiny and pretty accurate guess as to value, yet she could not see or understand the intolerable disgust and irritation which her ridiculous conduct excited. In a weak mind, egotism and selfishness, beyond a certain point, pass into practical insanity. All sense of delicacy, of the fitness of things, is lost. Even the power to consider the rights and feelings of others is wanting. Unlike poor Holcroft, Mrs. Mumpson had few misgivings in regard to coming years. As she rocked unceasingly before the parlor fire, she arranged everything in regard to his future as well as her own. Jane, quite forgotten, was oppressed with a miserable presentiment of evil. Her pinched but intense little mind was concentrated on two facts, Holcroft's anger and her mother's lack of sense. From such premises it did not take her long to reason out but one conclusion, visitin' again. And this was the summing up of all evils. Now and then a tear would force its way out of one of her little eyes, but otherwise she kept her troubles to herself. Mrs. Wiggins was the only complacent personage in the house, and she unbent with a garrulous affability to Jane, which could be accounted for in but one way. Holcroft had forgotten about his cider-barrel, thereby unconsciously giving her the chance to sample its contents freely. She was now smoking her pipe with much content, and indulging in pleasing reminiscences which the facts of her life scarcely warranted. "'Ven he us as little a girl as you are,' she began, and then related experiences quite devoid of the simplicity and innocence of childhood. The girl soon forgot her fears and listened with avidity until the old dame's face grew heavier, if possible, with sleep, and she stumbled off to bed. Having no wish to see or speak to her mother again, the child blew out the candle and stole silently up the stairway. At last Mrs. Mumpson took her light and went noisily around, seeing to the fastening of doors and windows. "'I know he is listening to every sound from me, and he shall learn what a caretaker I am,' she murmured softly. Once out of doors in the morning, with his foot on the native heath of his farm, Holcroft's hopefulness and courage always returned. He was half angry with himself at his nervous irritation of the evening before. "'If she becomes so cranky that I can't stand her, I'll pay the three months' wages and clear her out,' 
he had concluded, and he went about his morning work with a grim purpose to submit to very little nonsense. Cider is akin to vinegar, and Mrs. Wiggins' liberal potations of the evening before had evidently imparted a marked acidity to her temper. She laid hold of the kitchen utensils as if she had a spite against them, and when Jane, confiding in her friendliness shown so recently, came down to assist, she was chased out of doors with language we forbear to repeat. Mrs. Mumpson, therefore, had no intimation of the low state of the barometer in the region of the kitchen. "'I have taken time to think deeply and calmly,' she murmured. "'The proper course has been made clear to me. He is somewhat uncouth. He is silent and unable to express his thoughts and emotions, in brief, undeveloped. He is awfully irreligious. Moth and rust are busy in this house. Much that would be so useful is going to waste.' He must learn to look upon me as the developer, the caretaker, a patient and healthful embodiment of female influence. I will now begin actively my mission of making him an ornament to society. That mountainous Mrs. Viggins must be replaced by a deferential girl who will naturally look up to me. How can I be a true caretaker? How can I bring repose and refinement to this dwelling, with two hundred pounds of female impudence in my way? Mr. Holcroft shall see that Mrs. Viggins is an unseemly and jarring discord in our home. And she brought the rocking-chair from the parlor to the kitchen with a serene and lofty air. Jane hovered near the window, watching. At first there was an ominous silence in respect to words. Portentous sounds increased, however, for Mrs. Wiggins strode about with martial tread, making the boards creak and the dishes clatter, while her red eyes shot lurid and sanguinary gleams. She would seize a dipper as if it were a foe, slamming it upon the table again as if striking an enemy. Under her vigorous manipulation, kettles and pans resounded with reports like firearms. Mrs. Mumpson was evidently perturbed. Her calm superiority was forsaking her. Every moment she rocked faster, a sure indication that she was not at peace. At last she said, with great dignity, "'Mrs. Viggins, I must request you to perform your tasks with less clamor. My nerves are not equal to this peculiar way of taking up and laying down things. Well, just ye wait a minute, and I'll show ye how I can take up things and put em down hagin out of my way. And before Mrs. Mumpson could interfere, she found herself lifted, chair and all bodily, and carried to the parlor. Between trepidation and anger, she could only gasp during the transit, and when left in the middle of the parlor floor, she looked around in utter bewilderment. It so happened that Holcroft, on his way from the barn, had seen Jane looking in at the window, and, suspecting something amiss, had arrived just in time for the spectacle. Convulsed with laughter, he returned hastily to the barn, while Jane expressed her feelings, whatever they were, by executing something like a hornpipe before the window. Mrs. Mumpson, however, was not vanquished. She had only made a compulsory retreat from the scene of hostilities and, after railing her shattered faculties, advanced again with the chair. "'How dared you, you disreputable female!' she began. Mrs. Wiggins turned slowly and ominously upon her. "'Ye call me a disreputable female, Hagen, and ye want find hit healthy.' Mrs. Mumpson prudently backed toward the door before delivering her return fire. "'Woman!' she cried. "'Are you out of your mind?' Don't you know I'm housekeeper here, and that it's my duty to superintend you and your work? Well, then, I'll double ye hup hand, put ye on the shelf off the dresser, and lock the glass door on ye. 
from hup there ye can see all that's goin on and superintend to your arts content and she started for her superior officer mrs mumpson backed so precipitately with her chair that it struck against the door-case and she sat down hard seeing that mrs wiggins was almost upon her she darted back into the parlor leaving the chair as a trophy in the hands of her enemy mrs wiggins was somewhat appeased by this second triumph and with the hope of added gall and bitterness to mrs mumpson's defeat she took the chair to her rival's favorite rocking-place lighted her pipe and sat down in grim complacency mrs mumpson warily approached to recover a support which from long habit had become moral as well as physical and her indignation knew no bounds when she saw it creaking under the weight of her foe it must be admitted however that her ire was not so great that she did not retain the better part of valor for she stepped back unlocked the front door and set it ajar on returning she opened with a volubility that awed even mrs wiggins for a moment you miserable mountainous pauper you interloper you unrefined irresponsible unregenerate female do you know what you have done in this outraging me i'm a respectable woman respectably connected i'm here in a responsible station when mr holcroft appears he'll drive you from the dwelling which you vulgarize your presence makes this apartment a den you are a wild beast i'm a wild beast am i cried mrs wiggins at last stung into action and she threw her lighted pipe at the open mouth that was discharging high-sounded epithets by the score it struck the lintel over the widow's head was shattered and sent down upon her a shower of villainously smelling sparks mrs mumpson shrieked and sought frantically to keep her calico wrapper from taking fire meanwhile mrs wiggins rose and took a step or two that she might assist should there be any positive danger for she had not yet reached a point of malignity which would lead her to witness calmly an auto de fe this was jane's opportunity mrs wiggins had alienated this small and hitherto friendly power and now with a returning impulse of loyalty it took sides with the weaker party the kitchen door was on a crack the child pushed it noiselessly open darted around behind the stove and withdrew the rocking-chair mrs wiggins brief anxiety and preoccupation passed and she stepped backward again to sit down she did sit down but with such a terrific force that the stove and nearly everything else in the room threatened to fall with her she sat helplessly for a bewildered moment while jane with the chair danced before her exclaiming tauntingly that's for chasing me out as if i was a cat no i'll chase you both out cried the ireful wiggins scrambling to her feet she made good her threat for holcroft a moment later saw mother and daughter the latter carrying the chair rushing from the front door and mrs wiggins armed with a great wooden spoon waddling after them her objurgations mingling with mrs mumpson's shrieks and jane's shrill laughter the widow caught a glimpse of him standing in the barn door and as if borne by the wind she flew toward him crying he shall be my protector he barely had time to whisk through a side door and close it after him the widow's impetuous desire to pant out the story of her wrongs carried her into the midst of the barnyard where she was speedily confronted by an unruly young heifer that could scarcely be blamed for hostility to such a wild-looking object the animal shook its head threateningly as it advanced again the widow's shrieks resounded this time holcroft was about to come to the rescue when the beleaguered woman made a dash for the top of the nearest fence 
reminding her amused looker-on of the night of her arrival, when she had perched like some strange sort of bird on the wagon-wheel. Seeing that she was abundantly able to escape alone, the farmer remained in concealment. Although disgusted and angry at the scenes taking place, he was scarcely able to restrain roars of laughter. Perched upon the fence, the widow called piteously for him to lift her down, but he was not to be caught by any such device. At last, giving up hope and still threatened by the heifer, she went over on the other side. Knowing that she must make a detour before reaching the dwelling, Holcroft went thither rapidly with the purpose of restoring order at once. "'Jane,' he said sternly, "'take that chair to the parlour and leave it there. Let there be no more such nonsense.' At his approach, Mrs. Wiggins had retreated sullenly to the kitchen. "'Come,' he ordered, "'hasten breakfast, and let there be no more quarrelling.' "'If hive us left to me work in peace,' she began. "'Well, you shall do it in peace.' At this moment Mrs. Mumpson came tearing in, quite oblivious of the fact that she had left a goodly part of her calico skirt on a nail of the fence. She was rushing toward Holcroft, when he said sternly and with a repellent gesture, "'Stop and listen to me.' If there's any more of this quarreling like cats and dogs in my house, I'll send for the constable and have you all arrested. If you are not all utterly demented and hopeless fools, you will know that you came here to do my work and nothing else. Then, catching a glimpse of Mrs. Mumpson's dress, and fearing he should laugh outright, he turned abruptly on his heel and went to his room, where he was in a divided state between irrepressible mirth and vexation. Mrs. Mumpson also fled to her room. She felt that the proper course for her at this juncture was a fit of violent hysterics. But a prompt douche from the water-pitcher, administered by the unsympathetic Jane, effectually checked the first symptoms. "'Was ever a respectable woman?' "'You ain't respectable,' interrupted the girl, as she departed. "'You look like a scarecrow. Fies you, I'd begin to show some sense now.'" End of chapter 14